Is there any value in forcing people to do the right thing, or at least what we believe to be the right thing? Or is that maybe sometimes the only way? Like, for example, when dealing with the Jews after the story of the Miraglim, or dealing with a person who is so disconnected from their spirituality that they need a shake-up, or, of course, the example of Avram Avinu. Let's have a look at that one to start. We all know very famously that Avram Avinu succeeded in teaching people to recognize Hashem. And we know it al Pasuk because the Pasuk says, Hashem kel oilam, that Avram Avinu called out in Hashem's name where he was. It's a Gemara on which the Gemara comments, Al tikra vayikra vayakri. Don't just simply understand it that he called out in Hashem's name, but rather that he influenced others to call out in Hashem's name. And how did he do it, says the Gemara Melamed. Shikri Avram Avinu Avram Avinu successfully got everybody who passed by to announce and call out in Hashem's name, to acknowledge Hashem. What was his method, Ketzat? He set up this free hotel in the middle of the desert after people had eaten and drunk. People got up to bless and praise him. Amalemi says, What, you ate my products? You ate the product of the God of the universe. So therefore, So therefore, what you've got to do is you've got to praise and bless the one who created the world through his words. Then the Medrash expands the idea further and says, What about those people who said, We're not interested, we're not going to start blessing God, we're pagans. So they didn't want to bless to the one who created the world with his words. So then Avram Avinu hit them with a bill that was beyond exorbitant. And he explained logically, I have a good reason to charge you such an amount. Because where else are you going to find food out here in the desolation of the desert? And then, when they suddenly heard that they were going to have to pay such an incredible amount of money, okay, then suddenly they were a little bit more humble and they were accepting. And they said, Blessed is the God of the world from whom we have eaten. So what's really happening over here? Over Pashtas Nimtza, it would appear, that their big announcement that they blessed the God of the world was not their choice. It was just a way to get out of paying this huge amount of money. It's not really that they truly in their heart acknowledged and agreed that they should bless Hashem, which raises an incredible question. Yes, we get it. Those people that Avram Avinu had a positive impact and was able to inspire that of their own accord they should bless Hashem. Well, then you could say that Avram Avinu achieved something. What did he achieve? What the Gemara says, that he caused people to broadcast and acknowledge Hashem's name and that's a huge accolade for Avram Avinu. Well done, you inspired those people. But what about those people who he essentially forced to bless Hashem? What is the value of their lip service? Once off, because they're in Avram's presence and they say that they acknowledge and bless the God of the world when they don't really mean it. 
be logical to suggest that through this Avram Avinu succeeded in advertising Hashem's name throughout the whole world. How so? The people were still lacking consciousness of Hashem. They were just reading a formula that was a better alternative than paying the huge bill. So how's that a major success and big praise for Avram Avinu? Now, if the audience had been Jewish people, then we could justify it and say, we know the very famous uh, halachic ruling of the Rambam in, in the laws of divorce, that if there's a Jew who we have to coerce to fulfill a mitzvah, or to distance themselves from an avera, the Rambam explains that although we will we'll use coercion to get them to that point, it will still be considered as if they, of their own volition, chose to do it. Why? Because it is natural for every Jewish person to want to remain Jewish. And it's hardwired into the Jewish consciousness to want to do all of the mitzvahs and to stay away from anything which is contrary to what they wants. The problem is that the person was hijacked by the Yetzirah. Therefore, once we give the person a few claps, which weakens not the person as much as the Yetzirah's position, then, and now he says, I want to. So the scenario is a person who, according to Halacha, has to divorce his wife, but he refuses to do so. So the Halacha is, we coerce him until he says, he says, I want to. So now we've given him a few clap, and he says, okay, I want to. That that statement is, I am actually willing to fulfill what the Torah requires of me, even though initially I said no. In other words, in the essence and the deepest recesses of the soul of a Jew, every Jew wants to fulfill all of the mitzvahs, regardless of how loudly they shout that they're agnostic or that they don't believe in any of this stuff. All of the, the vociferous refusal, I don't want to do mitzvahs, is just lip service. So by applying pressure to the person from outside, that weakens the resolve of this defiant attitude of the Yetzirah. And therefore, when he says, okay, okay, I want to do it, that's his truth speaking. But you can't apply the same theory to the nomadic people who came through Avramovina's hotel in the middle of the desert. They didn't have that natural connection to God, to Yiddishkeit, to Torah. So what's the value in getting them to pay lip service? So one of the commentators on the Medrash will offer us a particular explanation. The Rebbe is not going to accept this as the final or the, 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 the uh, satisfactory explanation. Okay, it's possible that the people were playing along with Avram Avinu and actually misleading him. And they said these words just simply because of the pressure that he applied to them. doesn't matter because Avram also says, Because Avram Avinu at least could say, well, I have uh, I've done what I had to do. I've fulfilled my obligation to Hashem. 
And if they then decided that they were going to mislead him or were going to cheat him, that's their business, not his. So that Yufei Torah says, Avraham Avinu had a responsibility to Hashem. He fulfilled his responsibility. How people behave, that's their issue. Now, that might be true, but we need to really understand what kind of an explanation this is because number one, if they really were lying and cheating, so what's the, what's the value? The point is, right? he caused everybody to call out in Hashem's name. Well, if the whole thing was a farce, he hasn't achieved anything. And an even bigger issue, it's really far-fetched to suggest that Avram Avinu would do something just to discharge an expectation from Hashem. And he would accept the possibility that everybody else is going to do what's deceitful. Because there's another Medjash that tells us that it's in the merit of this conduct that Avram Avinu put this pressure on them to get them to bless Hashem. That caused every person who came through his doors to say, Blessed is God from whom we have eaten. In response to that, another Medrash tells us elsewhere in, in, in Bereshit Rabbah that David just said, I consider it like you are my partner in creation. And Abish says to Avram Avinu, people didn't know me. You made me known to my creations. Now both pieces of information tell us, and we say, move on, that obviously Avram Avinu did get through to people, and they did acknowledge Hashem. To the extent that he is considered Abish's partner in creation. And that medrash doesn't indicate that there's any difference between that he was only the Abish's partner in context of those people he inspired, not in context of the people he coerced. So something's not sufficient by saying, well, Avraham Avinu did what he had to do, but, you know, the people misbehaved. So what's the value of forcing people to acknowledge Hashem? The Yuvan to understand that We've already spoken about one example of how you coerce somebody and it weakens the resolve of the Yetzirah and then they do what they're supposed to. Let's look at another different but similar example. That when the person says, I want to do what I'm supposed to do, that's their deepest motivation coming to the fore. To the outside observer, it looks like, well, the only reason you're saying you want to do this is because you're being smacked. But rather, as the Rambam has identified, when a person says, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, it's because the external defiance has now been displaced and influenced by the internal wish to do what Hashem wants. So here's another example. Look, remember the story of the Meraglim. Initially, when they came back, they said, the people who live in Canaan are stronger than us, which the Gemara Sota says actually means stronger than Hashem himself. And then everybody totally collapsed in a panic. The people cried. They said, we better go back to Mitzrayim because Israel is a, is a, is a hopeless cause. 
But when Moshe spoke harshly to them, in this case, it wasn't physical blows, but it was a very harsh address to the people that really shook them. Then the people began to mourn over, not just the fact that the Maragdim gave a negative report, but they actually regretted their lack of faith and their rejection of the promise of Eretz Yisrael. And not only that, they said, okay, we're ready, let's go, we're ready to go to Eretz Yisrael right now. Total 180 degree turn. So what happens? Same principle. They get given a harsh talking to and it shifts them, it changes them. This will also relate to and help us to understand another saying from Pekiovus, which tells us, Every single day there's a heavenly voice that emits from Harsinai and announces, Woe to those people who shame the Torah. In other words, by the disregard of the Torah. That any person who does not toil and engage in Torah learning is effectively considered a noise for, considered somebody who should be excommunicated. Now there too you can ask a question. It doesn't seem to make sense. Surely the goal of that announcement is to somehow inspire Jewish people that they should engage more in their Torah learning. Surely, if the goal is to inspire people to learn Torah, then the announcement should be, Torah is amazing, it's so beautiful, you don't know what you're missing, get involved, it's an incredible opportunity. Why is the entire announcement only focused on what bad loss there is by not learning Torah, woe to the people who disregard the Torah. Well, where's the positive encouragement over here? Especially when you consider who's the audience of this announcement coming from Harsinai. Even the so-called lowly Jews who are called Brios. They've got no real value other than the fact that they're created by Hashem. As their announcement goes, as the Alter Rebbe explains, Brios means people that are particularly low spiritual level. They are people who are, as the Alter Rebbe says, distant from Torah, distant from service of Hashem. Which is why the only title we can apply to them is creations of Hashem. They don't really have an independent value. The only asset that they have, the only accolade we can give them is they wish to felt they were worth creating. And they're the audience who are trying to inspire that they should also engage in Torah learning. So if that's the audience, that's who you're trying to get through to, you want to really bring them on board and engage them in Torah, it's good enough just to tell them how bad it is that they're not engaged in Torah and not offer them anything that will attract them and explain to them the value and greatness of learning Torah. Why take the negative approach? So the explanation both for the Jews at the time of the Meraglim that caught a wake up after Moshe Rabbeinu gave them a big speech and the purpose of the announcement from Har is because every single Jewish person, as we know, has an Ishama that is part and parcel of Hashem. 
And therefore, it only wants to do everything that Abishad expects, all of the mitzvahs. Not only do they want to fulfill mitzvahs, but within every single Jewish person are massive treasures, absolute faith in Hashem, absolute love of Hashem, and of course that love of Hashem is the root that will stimulate the fulfillment of all the 248 mitzvahs. That's there, it's within us. Therefore, you actually don't have to explain to them how valuable and meaningful Torah is because it is intrinsic. And It's just that it's intrinsic, not in the conscious experience of the person. So we've got to draw it out into the open. As soon as we can draw that out into the, into the open, as soon as we can reach that deeper part of the person that they don't even know that they have, but as soon as we switch it on, then they're obviously going to fulfill Torah and commit to mitzvahs. Valkane. So therefore, what does that mean? If the person we were addressing over here was not so spiritually lowly, then it would be a lot easier to draw out the inner connection and the faith in Hashem and the love of Hashem that he has. And we'd be able to do that by positive encouragement, sharing light. We'd sell, we'd share the greatness and value and beauty of Torah and he'd be ignited immediately. But he's not that way inclined. He's not that sensitive. Because here we're talking about somebody who is at the lower end of the spiritual spectrum. If you look at that person from the perspective of his revealed abilities, spiritual talents, etc., the light of his neshama is not penetrating. It's not coming through. And therefore, we need to somehow smash that external shell and whatever's hiding and obstructing the light of his neshama because it's too dense, it's too thick, the light's not coming through on its own. He needs help from the outside. How do you smash the shell? By giving the person a little bit of a hard talking to and calling them out as somebody who is an oisvar. Woe to you. Any person who doesn't learn Torah is a lowly person. Sometimes that's what somebody needs. They need to be shaken up because they're not in touch with their own inner being and inspiration is not going to do it. They actually need shock treatment. Now even this baskol which uses harsh language and is basically a wake-up call that says, hello, do you not realize what's happening over here? You're nozuf, you're a nobody, you're a nothing, you're disconnected. That will only be effective on somebody who at least is in some way susceptible to hear the message. In other words, In other words, you're talking about people who, yes, they're at such a lowly level, but 
they still detect that there's something wrong with disgracing the Torah. It still means something to them. In other words, we're talking about people who even in their current spiritually desolate circumstances, where the thickness of their materialism is so dense that the neshama can't shine through, still they still are sensitive to the fact and it's still something they care about in their hearts, some kind of spiritual value, some kind of neshama currency is still valuable to them. Therefore, when they get that clap, it's not to break them completely. It's to break the shell and the barrier so that the inner self can awaken. In simple English, what that means is very often you find that there are people who are completely non-practicing and maybe even cynical, but they still care about the fact that you shouldn't call them disconnected. I'm Jewish at heart. I'm a spiritual person. I might not be religious, but I'm a spiritual person. That shows that there is still a value for the right stuff. So with a little bit of shock treatment, we can awaken within themselves that this is where you need to go in order to fulfill that value that you have for spirituality. So we've got the person who can be inspired. We've got the person who needs shock treatment, but they are still sensitive to spiritual issues. And then you go one level lower than that. Somebody who's in such a lowly spiritual state, that they don't have any sensitivity to any spiritual concept, and no spiritual concept speaks to them or awakens them or excites or inspires them. This is somebody who is so materialistic, so immersed in the, the stuff of this world that the neshama is completely covered up and hidden behind their, their uh, materialism. When you're dealing with that kind of a person, even a Jewish person, they are completely out of touch. They're incapable of insight. They're incapable of awareness of their own spiritual lack. So to that person, they need real shock treatment, not just something that says, oh my, I thought I was connected. I thought I was a Jew at heart. I thought I was a spiritual person. And now you've shown me that I'm not. This is somebody who needs really hectic treatment to say, you're nowhere, you're nothing, you're nobody. As the Altarebbe says in Tanya, even though the Altarebbe speaks about how we should address our own Yetzirah, but it's the same kind of an approach. Leharimolov, to thunder down on this person and say, you're bad, you're wicked, you're corrupted. Why? Because they will completely break the entire persona of the individual, shake him to his core, which opens the person up to become susceptible and a receptacle for holiness, which previously the person wasn't. And there's a powerful story in the Gemara that illustrates this. It's in a Gemara. Here's an example in the story, a very shocking story. Story of Rabbi Lozab Rabbi Shimon, who was walking along, met this individual, and this person was showing him a He was incredibly ugly. 
And he wanted to say hello to Rabbi Lozer Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Lozer Rabbi Shimon refused to greet him. Oh, Eloi, Reiko, he said, you empty individual, empty vessel. How ugly are you? So, oh, Eloi, the guy said back to him, why are you saying this to me? Why don't you go to the craftsman who made me and say, how ugly is this vessel that you made? And then Rabbi Lozer Rabbi Shimon gives him a whole lot of respect and goes and apologizes publicly, etc. So there's a question to put it into language the Gemara would use. What was Rabbi Loza Rabbi Shimon thinking? Did Rabbi Loza not know initially? Before the other guy said to him, why don't you go complain to the person who made me? Did, did he not know that the human body is designed by the Ebesh? Obviously he knew that. So what's he saying? Well, what's, why is he calling him out for being ugly? Plus we have to understand We're talking about Rabbi Lozer over here. How did he use such language? You empty vessel. How are you so ugly? It's the way you talk to people. It's the way that our Chachamim speak. Except this is not just about physical appearance. By addressing this person and calling him out and saying he's empty and he's ugly. He wasn't talking about physical appearance. He was talking about real emptiness and real ugliness. Which is in the spiritual reality. That means Rabbi Lozbar Rabbi Shimon detected that this was a person with an extremely primitive spiritual form. He couldn't detect within him any true spiritual value or advantage. Yes, Rakein, even more than that. We've already identified before that there's some people that we simply can't find any value in them, but we have to acknowledge that Debishta created them, so that must give them some value. This person was so spiritually disconnected, you couldn't even detect looking at him that is Debishta's creation. It didn't kind of shine through. So therefore, Rabbi Lozer realized this person in his current spiritual state, you cannot even greet such a person after he has greeted you. You can't even get through to this person and inspire them. The only way through to him is shock treatment. You've got to break him down all the way. How do you do that? Empty one. Look how ugly you are. That's real shock treatment. That's going to break the materialistic comfort zone that this person was living in. And it worked. As soon as Rabbi Loza spoke so harshly to him, the guy shot back. Why don't you go speak to the craftsperson who made me? In other words, he suddenly became aware of the fact that there's a maker, there's a creator. I don't exist in a vacuum. He went from being somebody who's completely empty to somebody who's now conscious, aware, mindful. In other words, what that means is 
At the very least, he suddenly became cognizant of the fact that I'm Brias. I'm a Bria. I'm Abish's creation, if nothing else. But not only did he acknowledge that he's a creation, but he said, Look at the master who made me. He doesn't just talk about being a creation. He realizes an Uman creates something for a purpose. I must have a purpose. Not just that I have value because I'm created. I must have a purpose because I'm created. Because when, a, when an artisan makes something, it is for a purpose. So he suddenly became aware of the fact that I am created, that there's a creator, and that I have a purpose, and I better start pulling up my socks. And with that in mind, we can also look at a story which may initially appear to be a disturbing story from the Rebbe Rashab, quite a well-known story. The story happened early on when the Rebbe Rashab was newly Rebbe, and that's relevant to the details of the story. Basically, what happened was, Yehudi nichnas to the Rebbe Nishmasein Yechidus. There was a person who came to the Rebbe Rashab for Yechidus. He had something that was a very pressing issue, and he asked for a bracha in that area of life. And he really need a, needed a big bracha, big rachamim from the Eibishter in order for this to come right. The Rebbe Rashab was dismissive and said, Can't do anything, cannot help you. You can understand how this must have broken the person. When this Yid heard that response, he left the Rebbe's room and he collapsed in hysterics. So there he is doing his thing, pacing up and down, crying his eyes out. So the Rebbe Rashab's brother, the Razo, encountered this fellow. In response to the Razor's question, why are you so hysterical? He told everything that had happened. And how the Rebbe Rashab said it. There's nothing he could do. There's no way that he could help him. Immediately, the Razor immediately went back into the Rebbe Rashab's study. This obviously was because it was the early days of the Rebbe Rashab's Nasiya, so he still could do something like that. Is this the appropriate way to conduct yourself? person comes asking for your bracha and you respond that you don't have the capacity to help him. To the extent that the person is outside now crying a river because you wouldn't help him. When the Rebbe Rashab heard this, and he invited this Yid back into his study. When he came and he gave him the bracha that he had come to ask for. And the bracha worked. Now the obvious question is, Why initially did the Rebbe Rashab refuse to help him? Void and with such an what seems to be insensitive response. to the extent that it broke his heart, he could have said, I'm sorry, I wish there was something I could do. I give you a broccoli that you should have the strength. I don't know. Let's assume the Rebbe Shab couldn't help him. 
you could have at least given him some words of encouragement, helped him to have greater trust in Hashem. He could have, for example, quoted what the Gemara says, that even if a sharp sword is on a person's neck, don't give up on the possibility of the Abish's, uh, of the Abish's mercy. What? Something so harsh. Sorry, can't help you next. So the explanation is that Yid who came to ask the Brocha from the Rebbe Hashab at that time from the perspective of where he was holding spiritually was in no way ready to be able to receive the kind of Brocha he needed. He wasn't anywhere on the spiritual scale of somebody who could deserve such a bracha. He wasn't the kind of vessel container that could absorb this kind of bracha. That's why the, the Rebbe Rashab says, nothing I can do. But when he heard what the Rebbe Rashab told him, which was of course shock treatment, that broke him. Not only about his circumstance, but about his spiritual circumstances. To the extent that he poured out his heart to David, that completely reconstituted him as a brand new being. A new being that is susceptible to receive David's bracha. In other words, the Rebbe Hashab's intention is not to break him, but to reconstitute him. This kind of, so to speak, harsh address to somebody, breaking somebody down. Where the intention is, It's not just to waken the light of the person's neshama. Because that's not going to help. Because you wake up his neshama and he still can't hear it or feel it or see it. Therefore, the technique and strategy is break the materialistic position and safety net of the person. That, that's something that could be effective in the non-Jewish world as well. So the first two levels, to inspire somebody to get in touch with the neshama, or even to just create that sense of guilt, oh my, I'm not as spiritual as I thought I was, and that really affects me, that's reserved for somebody as an Ephesians kiss, so it will switch on like this. But to totally break somebody's perspective of themselves, their comfort zone, and therefore allow them access to something meaningful and spiritual, that is a, something available for every human. But with a distinction. A Jew, no matter how spiritually bankrupt they may appear, yes, neshama, they still always have a neshama. Which is a part of a Debesh. And therefore, even while the Jew is rebelling and sinning, his fundamental belief and wish is to be Jewish and to fulfill Torah mitzvahs. And therefore, whatever breaks only breaks on the outside because because his internal reality, which is his essence, was always fine and always healthy and always okay. So we don't have to break the person completely, just break the shell. So, in the context of the Jewish person who is so far gone that we have to shake to the core. 
the core is still okay. But when you're talking about a non-Jewish person, the pagans who came to Avraham Avinu's hotel, and they have nothing like a nefesh alikiz. Then this major shaking and sh- shocking the person can only get them to become awake or susceptible to a spiritual experience they were already predisposed to. Let's understand that in Avram Avinu's story. This will explain what Avram Avinu did. He put such incredible pressure on the passers-by, who stopped to eat at him, until he was successful in getting them to acknowledge verbally that Eibishter is God. Even a person who is non-Jewish, and especially after the Mabel, when the whole world was already in a somewhat improved spiritual state, Every human is capable of understanding, appreciating, and acknowledging that there is a God, that there's a higher authority. That's why Avram Avinu went out on a mission to get every person that passed by to acknowledge this. And the primary way that Avram Avinu did this was with very developed, rational explanations of how you know that there's a God. But not everybody was willing to listen to his shir. When Avram Avinu detected that there were people who came and it all went right over their heads. They did not hear his rational explanations, who controls the sun and the moon, or whatever other explanations he used. It just didn't talk to them. They were too, too dense. They were way too immersed in the materialism of this world. Unlike a regular human who is a descendant of Noach. Like, for example, look at the difference. Three sons of Noach. Two of them are completely open to meaning and to uh, proper conduct. And Chom is completely close to it. And right from the beginning, he behaves in a horrible way. Now Avram Avinu had to find a way to smash through these impervious people sitting there giving him blank stares because they don't relate to the first thing of Ruchnius. So therefore, the only way to do it was to put intense pressure on them. Aksa, as the expression goes in Aramaic. This, this almost like angst, like this intense, uncomfortable feeling. That broke through the barriers of their inability to, to absorb and allowed some of what he had explained rationally beforehand to now start to seep through to the extent that they could say okay we acknowledge we acknowledge Debishter we bless Debishter for the food we had so that's Avram Avinu's real achievement he actually gets through to them he actually gets them to acknowledge what a Ben Noach is supposed to acknowledge Yesh Balabayis the Biro Zoi there is a creator what could it teach us? It's such a simple lesson. The behavior of Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov is there to indicate to us how we should behave and empowers us to behave in this way. 
Yesh Lino Kavramovina Velasik Vipusum Elikus Boilam. We're supposed to take a page out of Avramovina's book, which is to go and advertise godliness throughout the entire world. Vidafka Boifen Shaboyosas Ois Avramen. We're supposed to follow the methodology that Avramovina used. Sharegam Oifen Anagosa Shala Avram. Ovis Bichalu Similar Bonim. Because not only is the general story of the Ovis a lesson and empowerment for us, but the details are too. First lesson is, you cannot be satisfied just to reach out and to inspire those in the immediate catchment area of your own home. We've got to go out into the streets like Avramovina did. And to catch the pastors by like Avramovina did. All of them, you know, you can't overlook in certain individuals. You have to invest every possible strategy and method. Even if it means providing food. If that's how you're going to get them through the door, that's how you're going to get their attention, then that's what you've got to do. And if sometimes it, in, it, it requires us to put some pressure on them, that's also part of the, the, the approach. Obviously the kind of pressure which would be green, rubber stamped by the Torah. Because the Torah is generally always an approach of kindness and goodness. So obviously we're not going to be harsh. Pressure doesn't have to be harsh. And if somebody comes and accuses and complains, what are you wasting your time for? The person you convinced to say a bracha over food, you got him to say shema once, big deal. He doesn't really want to do it. His heart's not really in it. That guy who now also his friend put on tefillin. It's because you drove him a sugar. You're a chabadnik. You drove him crazy. That's why I put on tefillin. He doesn't care about tefillin. What's the value of putting on tefillin today? He's not going to put on tefillin tomorrow. Or who knows when? Nobody knows when he's going to put on tefillin next. Other similar arguments that people use. If somebody has that complaint, the answer we share with them is based on a story in the Torah. A story in the Torah is a lesson, because all of Torah is a lesson, the lesson we've mentioned before. And we call Shekem Kalva Choymer, not only is it a good source for this approach, but wow, how much more so in our context. If you consider that Avram Avinu lived when when his audience were all pagan. And he wasn't yet empowered with the Torah. And yet, the Medrash attests to the fact that Avram Avinu's approach and his care and his pressure was so successful that David considers him a partner in creation who created this awareness about the Creator where there had been no awareness before. How much more so if we're now after Matan Torah with a whole different set of tools. We're not dealing with non-Jewish people, we're dealing with Jewish people. People who want to be Jewish and they want to do mitzvahs. When they do a mitzvah, that's what they want. In the case of a Jewish person, it's quite possible, it's likely that our external pressure will translate into their true, meaningful, personal interests. I really want to do this. 
And when we do this and we succeed in making the world aware of the Ebishta, the non-Jewish world in its way, the Jewish world in its way, that will speed, that will hasten up. Because whatever we do, the Ebishta responds in kind. We're creating awareness of Hashem in the world. So what's the response from the Ebishta? The world will be filled with knowledge of Hashem. How will that happen? As the, as the Rambam writes, David, a king from the kingdom of David will get up, and he'll also, he'll also coerce us to fulfill mitzvahs to the literary letter of the law, both the written and oral Torah, and that will happen with ultimate geula with Moshiach. It should happen immediately.